I want to share with you a message this morning from Psalm 22, if you want to go ahead and find it. Two weeks ago, I preached, uh, that was the, the last day of 2017. Here we are 14 days into this new year. And again, we're so glad to have you if you're a guest with us. Um, and, and if you came because of the book, God bless you. If you haven't read that, it's a, a collection of seven testimonies of people in our church. And uh, we have extra copies for you to have if you're a guest with us. We want you to take home one of those books with you and to share it. I had a guy come, got one of them through the mailing, 91 years of age, came in, um, said, here's the book. I want to give the book back to you. And I thought, well, maybe he didn't like it. He says, you need to give this book to someone else that it can help. And then he mentioned one of the testimonies that turned out to be the coddle story that he shared just a little bit of the impact that testimony had on him. 91 years of age, his wife died eight years ago, and he lives alone. And I've asked him for uh, maybe a moment for us, for me to just have a, a cup of coffee with him. Um, told me he could not remember the last time he had been in church, but church went to him. Church went to his mailbox. And isn't that how God can do neat things like that? If they can't get here, we can at least take the gospel to them. There was three things. I'm not going to give a quiz on this. Three things that I said we needed to focus on as we start 2018. One of them was the centrality of Christ, just making Jesus intentionally the focus of our lives every single day. And then one of them was about the cross, not as a symbol, but as a living reality. That the cross just shouldn't be that that you see behind me on the wall, but how we live our life. Meaning this, our prayer should be what Jesus prayed in the garden. Father, not what I want, not what my plans are, not what my intentions are, Father, but what do you want? What do you want me to do And in doing that, what we're saying, as Jesus said in that prayer, he said, not my will, but yours be done. What he was saying is, I'm surrendering myself to the cross. I'm surrendering myself to your plan. As difficult as it was for him to consider what was just within hours of happening to him, he was saying, I give up my life and what he tells us is that if you were going to follow him, we have to do the same thing. We have to take up our cross, live a surrendered, in a way, crucified life, crucified to our desires and our plans, and live a surrendered life to him. One of the great things about modern technology is, and I keep two sermons on all of my devices that I have, my phone, my iPad, my computer, One is Dick Brogdon's message on a surrendered life, preached a few years ago. And the other is 10 shekels and a shirt. Those people who have listened to that is is probably the the sermon of the 20th century, preached in the 1960s by Paris Reedhead. But I go back to Dick Brogdon's, what his message was, is that we are to live a surrendered life in the shadow of the cross. And if you remember, I... I started all of those points with a song. I'm not going to ask you again, 
because I don't want to feel bad that you forgot so much in two weeks. But the song that we started that point was one of the great songs of Isaac Watts rendering, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. What a powerful song. I'm preaching today on songs and sermons. How's that? Songs and sermons. When I arrived here, in, and I'm going to get to Psalm 22, just hold on. When I arrived here in 1994, it's a long time ago, there was someone that came up to me and told me what I should be doing, which is not surprising to me. And their instruction to me was cut the singing in half and preach more. I didn't have a response to that. I had no comment. How's that? I played it safe. But I was like, where's the balance in that? You think that uh, there's this contention somehow between songs and sermon. There shouldn't be that, right? They should blend together because wouldn't you say, though, almost the entirety of our Sunday morning experience or if, if we're having a service on Wednesday night or Sunday night, the, the entire service is made up primarily of what? Songs and a sermon. And the balance of that can kind of be a little contentious. You know, how much you do this and what kind of songs, what kind of selection of songs. That's a huge thing today. Um, I remember in our little church in Childersburg growing up, it was kind of like the radio request line. <laughs> you know, somebody get up and says, what do y'all want to sing today? And somebody blurt out a song, we'd sing that one. And, and somebody blurt out something, we'd sing that one. And it was kind of like, it's request day. It was like that almost every service. You know, there's no hazard in doing that. I can say, what do y'all want to sing today? And I think I'd be pretty safe here. But when you ask children that, and I heard the story that a little girl piped up, a visiting little girl, and says, let's sing, my mama's a pistol-packing mama. <laughs> well, I think you know that that is not really a song you want to sing in church. And by the way, there is a song, Pistol-Packing Mama. And I know probably some of you are going to go with your devices and look it up, but it's not appropriate for worship today. I think the message that we have in Psalm 22 reflects something that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in his first letter. He said this, and I mentioned this verse two weeks ago, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But those who are being saved, those who are saved, it is the power of God. So we have sermons on the cross and we have songs about the cross. But what about the song on the cross? The song of the cross. Jesus had all kinds of conversations while he was on the cross. When you think about it. He spoke to the thief next to him, right? The criminal that was dying. He, he and the dying criminal had a conversation about the afterlife. He also talked to his disciple John, and he talked to his mother, Mary. He also had a conversation with God, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. He said something really to no particular person when he said that he was thirsty. 
And so they, they tried to give him something to drink, and he wouldn't accept it. But medically, everybody would say that was after what he went through, through the blood loss, that he was probably in shock. His body was going into shock, and he was in severe dehydration. But let's go back to a conversation that he had with God. There was a couple of things that he said to his father. One of the last things he said was this. He expressed great confidence and absolute trust that he can dismiss his spirit into the hands of his father. And he said that, did he not? Father, into your hands. This is a conversation he's having with his heavenly father. They're in communication. But there's this troubling thing that he did that is really kind of hard to figure out. And it's Psalm 22. He begins to quote Psalm 22. Now, if you have your Bibles open, um, or if you've got it open on your smartphone or something, before I get into reading the first verse, there's a description at the top of that psalm. It's a psalm of David, but if you have a King James translation, it reads something like this, to the chief musician, right? And anybody want to take it after that? Upon Ayelet Shahar. Now everybody here knows what Ayelet Shahar is all about, right? We, we use the term all the time. But if you have an NIV, it, it does translate that, those two words. Literally, the two words means a, a female red deer, a doe, and mourning. The two words. One refers to a deer, a female red deer, a doe, and mourning. Now, the NIV kind of takes the liberty to go on and says, to the tune of the doe of the morning. Do you have that? Do you see that? So we don't really know if that was a specific tune. It could, it could be when he handed this song to the chief musician that that instruction included how that song was to be rendered. But it could very well be that as you read this, the dough is symbolic of Jesus, an innocent animal that's subject to predators. And there's all kind of language in here about predators. And you, we're going to see that as we read this. I want to read this psalm to you this morning from the very first verse because this is what Jesus... This is the one Old Testament passage that we know that Jesus quoted by verbatim while he's hanging on the cross. And it starts in verse 1. These are the words that Jesus quoted. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me or saving me? So far from my cries of groaning. King James says roaring. This is deep pain, this anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were 
not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who seek me mock or see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Now, as we read this, think about how much this describes Matthew 27 when Jesus is hanging on the cross. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength and come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, right here, there's a little bit of a transition. You see the first 21 verses just transitions from this plea of help and aloneness and abandonment. I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. The whole tone of the psalm changes. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Doesn't sound like that verse fits in the first part, does it? You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, who has, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. And most scholars believe there's this separation between verses 21, 22, or somewhere along in there. One suggests that verse 22, following the threefold office of Jesus, that he's declared in verse 22, which could be his prophet. He's tending to vows in verse 25, which could be his priestly role. And in verse 28 is like his office of king, that dominion belongs to the Lord. I'll I'll simply say this. When Matthew records what Jesus said, 
He only records the first line of Psalm 22. This is a song that was written 1,000 years before Jesus was hanging on a cross. This is a 1,000-year-old song that Jesus quotes verbatim while hanging on the cross. And it's the only thing we know of that he spoke in the original language. Because when Matthew records this in Matthew 27, and Mark records it in verse in chapter 15, he records it as he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And then Matthew gives the interpretation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verse 47 of Matthew 27, those standing around says, oh, he's calling for Elijah. You know, Elijah's name means the Lord is God. So here Jesus is pulling these words from a thousand-year-old song that has immediate relevance to what's going on with him hanging on the cross, the only scripture we know that he quoted. This is alluded to in John, and John's account of the crucifixion and Luke's account of the crucifixion. And listen, David, David could be writing some of this from his own experience, but this could not be totally from him. When you look down in verse 16, it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. David, David is prophesying the crucifixion of Jesus. There he's got the mockery, he's got the gambling, the, the only thing that Jesus owned or possessed at his death was his clothes, and they were gambling over that. So the, the specific, this is, was a prophetic song that David penned. But it also became the lament for Jewish people in distress. One of those distresses that the Jewish people went through was the horrific Holocaust. Now, in a moment, I'm going I'm to ask Shane to play a short clip of a video. And I'll just give you a little bit of the details before he plays it. This is Psalm 22, sung in Hebrew with the subscript. I wish I could feel the liberty to show you the whole clip, the whole video, but the backdrop is the Holocaust, and quite frankly, some of the scenes just get a little too graphic. But I want you to listen intently as to the song being adopted. And in a way, I... in the agony of the cross, Jesus could have very well sung it as well as said it. But if he sung it, it would probably sound a little bit like this. Oh, <laughs> 
I wish you could, and you can find this on YouTube, just Psalm 21, 22, Hebrew. And... Um, the profound anguish of those people going through that. This is the psalm that Jesus began to declare. Did you notice the different pronunciation of those first words? We tend to say, and I've read it like this, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's not the pronunciation he gave, was it? It was more of an emphasis on the first two letters, L-E. L-E, which is probably the proper, because L is the focus of the word. It is the name for God. That I at the end is the first person, my. L-E, L-E. And this is what Jesus was saying. My God, my God, when you just take that first line, you could stop at every single word and find substance to it. L-E. Even as Jesus was saying this and he was quoting the psalmist on this, does it mean that God had forsaken Jesus indeed? And I'm just going to leave that question to lay on your mind for a moment. Was this really going on? Because he was saying, my God, my God, you are my source. And then he uses the word that we're all told through the course of our lives not to use when it comes to God, right? Right? Why? Don't question God. Undoubtedly, David did not get that memo. And it wasn't just this song. There's a lot of times he's saying, why, why, why? Why is this happening to me? And the employment of this song is not an accident. This is Christ taking a psalm. He knew exactly what he was employing. He was stepping into this moment of anguish that David had prophesied that he would be in. He was saying, my, my God, why? 
why hast, why do I feel like this is a done thing that you have left me? I was listening to a Jewish scholar. I went over this psalm a lot and listened to a lot of people and dove into a lot of reading. But he says forsaken is not a good word here because it's kind of like, you know, it has this negative connotation to it. But he says it's better, and you might have, you might have seen in the transcript there underneath it that it was, why have you left me here? And that doesn't really mean anything negative because probably all of us at one point or another left the child somewhere. (laughs) Oh, did you get him? No, I I didn't get him. You get him? Well, let's go back and get him. (laughs) Now, he might be saying, why have my parents forsaken me? But (laughs) it wasn't like, oh, we just didn't want to have you today. You know, no, that's... And you see the two different connotations with those words. Why hast you of all people left me? The only one that I had in my corner. Why are you not here with me? This is, this is the incredible message of this song. Why have you forsaken, left me? Every single word. Has this, and then he, and it's kind of like in verse one, it's like threefold. And why are you so far from helping me, from saving me? And so far from my groaning, from my pain, my anguish. Well, I don't have time to go through the whole psalm, of course. But can I ask you a question? Has God ever abandoned you? Here's a follow-up question. Have you ever felt like he may have? You know, those sentiments, probably all of us at some point have said exactly what David said, and and David wasn't rebuked, and I don't think, I, I know that God doesn't take offense when we say, Lord, why? Why did this happen? Why is this happening? Why? Why did all of this take place? You know, my grandson riding with me the other day, you know, and they all want to ride shotgun. So if you're driving multiple cars, you're going to have one of them in the front seat because that's like, that's when you've arrived, when you can ride shotgun. But Asher said to me, Papa, uh, God, God controls us, doesn't he? And I looked at him and I wanted to say, I wished he was. <laughs> I wish he was controlling you right now. <laughs> I said, where are we going to eat? He said, CC Pizzas. I said, did God make us go eat there? Yeah. I said, no, you're <laughs> not supposed to answer that way, you know. I said, does he control every decision we make? He says, Ashley gives us free will. And sometimes we're we yelling at God, why? <laughs> he might be saying, why did you do that? <laughs> why did you make that decision? And so, well, Lord, I didn't have any control. Maybe we didn't. But how we respond to stuff, we have control. And I believe it's all right with him if we say, why is this happening? 
But sometimes I think he wants to ask us the same question. Why did you do that? Why did you make that choice? Why did you listen to that voice? And we find ourselves in such a place of despair. My sweet mom was such a mighty woman of God, but she had moments in her life where she genuinely felt like God abandoned her. And at that point, it it was impossible to convince her otherwise other than she just had to work her way, journey through it, through help and grace and everything that could be done, and she would get through those moments. But in that moment, she felt in her own heart. Have any of us felt that way? Where are you, God? Where are you? Where are you? You see what's going on? Really? Help me. Help me through this. Get me through this. You pray those kind of prayers? Let me ask you another question. I, and I think over the last few years, just working my way through things that Jesus said from the cross, I've come to ask this. Did God really abandon his son and forsake him? Or was Jesus expressing what the psalmist felt? And he was quoting it because he could himself have felt that way, right? I wouldn't wouldn't wonder or doubt that that was a good possibility. Listen, some of the people who've read this psalm and studied it a lot more than I have believes that it's possible that Jesus quoted the entire song while he's hanging on the cross. And I know how we are about this stuff. Well, it doesn't say that. You do realize that John said that if you attempted to write down everything that Jesus said and everything he did from his own memory, he said, I don't think enough books exist to contain everything that man said or did. Did he not say that? So that means, and and listen, when you hold this book, you are like, hey, we get, we get just uh, this small portion of what Jesus said and did, but he did so much more than that and said so much more than that. So is it possible that Jesus could have quoted the entire psalm while he was hanging on the cross? Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. They might not have recorded other things he said, but what was recorded was because we needed to hear it, Right? It was part of divine inspired scripture for us to know what he's doing on the cross. And that one line from Psalm 22 was for us to hear and see what he was going through. The agony of his life. Here's one other thing. When you look at the end of Psalm 22 as we read it earlier, what's the last four words? He has done it. Does that ring a bell with you? It is finished. The last thing he said is basically, it's done. It's finished. It's over. And it's almost as though the entire 
effect of the cross is captured in that because it goes from his plead and his wonder if he's alone, what's going on. He's got all these vicious people around him. He's got people that are bent on his destruction. And as you get to the latter part of the psalm, it comes, apart, it comes across that the Lord has heard his cry. The Lord has responded to his cry. And I just believe that when Jesus said those two things toward the tail end of his time on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dismissed his spirit into the hands of the Father. And he also said, it is finished. Nothing, that means nothing needs to be added. I mean, there's nothing else left to do. Here's the great thing about salvation. Jesus accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished in regard to salvation, and he, and he takes that accomplished work and he hands it to you as a gift, saying it's done, you accept this, and your life is in good hands. Because your life then becomes part of what Jesus handed his Father, his Spirit, we can say, Lord, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my health. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my plans. Somewhere in life, we, we hit a wall at some point to where we don't know what to do. And that's the moment we ought to look back on this song and say, but God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. There's, there's people in this room. You might not have voiced the words why, but they're in you. God knows how we're thinking, right? He knows our thoughts. He knows if we've been wounded or disappointed or betrayed or let down or somebody has done something, we find it hard to forgive them or get over it and all of this. These are, these are human emotions that we're dealing with. And we can't fix ourselves at all. We have to have him, right? But there's people in this room today that you're carrying some aloneness with you. You're carrying some despair with you. The question is, is whether you go to what Jesus went to a song that expressed that deep despair, but also a song that expressed confidence that the one he was praying to. He, you know, the interesting thing is David didn't say, God, God, why have you forsaken? What did he say? My God, my God. Someone said in a, in a pastor's prayer gathering I was in this past week that we ought to realize in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is always with us. And as we shared, I mentioned, and it goes back to how that psalm started. The Lord is not shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. That's why we can say he shepherds me in the valleys as well as getting me to the still waters and into green pastures, getting me into the, the places of goodness and light and joy. He shepherds us through all the parts of our lives. Aren't you glad for that? Would you stand with me? Now, I didn't want to throw a, a curve out at the
Pounders family to do this song. But we're going to play this song. And, um, and as it's played, if you're carrying despair with you today, I want to pray with you. You feel like the Lord has really disappointed you. That, that you're carrying this question. Why did all of that happen? Why did this happen? Maybe something very specific. Or why, why can't we get beyond this? I believe he wants to change that setting in you just like the psalm changed from verse 21 to 22 from one like, oh, no, to oh, yes. Lord, I pray this morning because as, as people, we have these moments, we have these times, we don't understand things. And I believe you include these kind of blatant, honest, desperate yearnings of a psalmist and of our own Lord expressing why is this happening so that we can come and say, Lord, I don't know why, but I need you. I need your help. I need your your salvation. I need you to get me through this. And for those in this room that are there at a critical point in their faith, or they're struggling to get over something, I pray today that you will touch them and minister to them in Jesus' name.